we'll continue our study on uh, chapter, chapter 9 of the Confession uh, of Free Will. Um, I was supposed to uh, go on to the, to the state of grace where believers are now, but I realized that um, as I prepare this, uh, this one, that there's so much to say about what I, I, uh, we were uh, uh, teaching last week uh, about the state of uh, unbelievers or where all men are in now. So I will continue that and hopefully I'll still have another chance uh, next week, uh, Lord willing, that I will uh, we'll talk about the state of, uh, of believer or the state of grace. Uh, so today we'll continue on our... Uh, we look at deeper and more, more, more scripture, and there's a lot to say about it. The same uh, state where, where all unbelievers are now. So, I just want to remind you the fourth state that is in our confession. Uh, the first state, the state of innocence, uh, where only two people live there, that state, and we know who they were. It's Adam and Eve, right? After them, no one ever lived there or will go back to that, that state. The second state is the state uh, of sin, where men are now, where men fall from the state of innocence to the state of sin. All humanity are living their experience in that state. And the third one, man in his state of grace, after conversion, we will talk about it. And the last one, man in his state of glory, when we get to heaven. You know, remember, this is about our will, what, 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 how our wills work. Uh, in, in this fourth state. <clears throat> Remember when we talk about man doesn't have free will when we, we discuss this it, it's not it's not referred to man doesn't have a choice of course we are we are moral uh, free agent right we, we, we choose all the time every day we make our choice but here what, what we are talking about what we're referring to man will is not neutral neutral, like, like it's not controlled by that side or that side. So man is in control of his will. You can will to go that way or will to go that way. That's the idea. You know why? Because we, are, we, are, we love our autonomy, right? I'm, I'm in charge, I'm in control. I'm, I'm the one, I'm the one that uh, make that choice. But when you, when you come to spirit of good, something that we can do to please God or acceptable to God, especially coming to God and repent and believe and surrender to Christ. This is what the confessing is referring to. This is what we say, because we will see it in Scripture, as we already did some of the Scripture last week. But I want to read again the confessing, uh, chapter 9, in that state of sin. It reads, Man, by his fall into a state of sin, has completely, this is important that word, has completely lost all ability of will to accomplish any spiritual good which accompanies salvation. Did you hear that? So what, what, what man lost, he lost completely the ability of will to accomplish any spiritual good. Right? Because man is fall from that state of, of innocence which which means that we are separate from God. Now we are spiritually dead. Man doesn't have the ability or the wills to accomplish any spiritual good that is pleasing and acceptable to God. It's important to know that. Including what is a company salvation. Because to come to salvation or to receive salvation, 
through Jesus Christ as a command from God to believe, to, to, to repent, to turn your life around and receive Christ. This is what we refer to in the confessing. Therefore, as a natural man, being altogether avert or actively opposed to spiritual good and dead in sin, he is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself for conversion. So, that is what we refer to, that is what we mean. Man, uh, man's uh, world is bondage, is in bondage. You know, there's a famous book that uh, Martin Luther wrote, it's called The Bondage of the Will. I read that book. Uh, and then some other reformed theologians who, who wrote a book similar to that, to that topic. But what we, what we mean by that, the will of man is not neutral, is not you know, in the, in, you know, it's not influential under anything. You can will which way you go, like where, where Adam in the state of innocence. We, we talked about last week about original sin, you know, we heard that term. Original sin refers to the, to the fall of man, where Adam uh, disobeyed God. So original sin it's misunderstood that some people think they refer to the first sin that Adam committed because the word original sin. But what, it, what we refer to, the doctrine of original sin defined the consequences to the human race because of the first sin of Adam, the effect of disobedience of Adam. Yes, his, fact, his first uh, sin that he committed affected us, us all. So original sin is referred to the consequences or the effect of the sin of Adam, because Adam was our federal head, the, head, the federal headship in Romans chapter 5, we, we read it last week, uh, he's our federal head, headship, we were in Adam, so we are his descendant, we are all in him, it affects us all, whatever happened to Adam there, it was happened to us all, although we were alive there, but he's our federal headship, we were in Adam, we are in his loin at that time. So, whenever God imputed to Adam or transfer or, or, or punish Adam, whatever the consequences, we are all under that. We are all affected by it. And then the second one we call total depravity. Remember the first point of the, the five point? Total depravity? Yeah, that's the effect of the fall. And again, total depravity is just a state of corruption due to original sin. But there are some people who misunderstand that too. They think total depravity, the word total, they mean, imply that we are as bad as we possibly can be. No, that's not what we mean by that. So it means that all the faculty of man, the whole person is affected by sin, is corrupted by sin, within and without. So now men are slave to sin. Sin reigns in the heart of man. Man's nature is covered by sin. Sin reigns. That's, that's the language that the Bible uses. Sin reigns. And, and, and our will is part of our nature. Our will is part of our nature. So when we say man doesn't have free will, it's referred to because man only acts, only choose according to what his nature dictates. Like whatever underneath there, that's what your nature, what's what your will is doing. Now, I want to go back to Romans chapter 3. I want to go back to Romans chapter 3. 
I want to make a point. We're not going to go through what we went through last week, but uh, I want to make some point on the few verses. Verse 9, Romans chapter 3. We'll, we'll look at verse 9, 11, and 12. Remember, sin reigns. We are enslaved to sin. See, our nature is governed by sin. The nature is, is the same as the, as the heart. Right? As the heart. So here, Paul says in verse 9, What then are we choose any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. It's very important that word, are under sin. When you, when you say you are under something, that means that what you are under is, is overwhelming you, it's overpowering you, it's suppressing you. You can't able to get rid of that. Otherwise, it's controlling you. Wherever that thing is above you and you are under, wherever it moves, that's where you go. You move with it. See, this is what Paul's idea here, this is what that means, under sin, all of humanity, under the suppressive, the oppressing of sin or the slave of sin. We saw that last week, Jesus made it clear, whoever commits sin, all of us are slave to sin, a slave of sin. And then what he's referring to here in verse 11 and 12 is our nature, the human nature, the sinful nature. Because of sin, we are under the control of sin. And it says, it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. None is righteous, no, not one. That's it. The heart of man, the nature of man, there is no righteous in there. It's all corrupted. It's all sinful. So when God looks at man, he doesn't see anyone that, that is righteous, that is approved by him. So therefore, no one can come to God on his own. No one can have anything to offer to God that is acceptable or pleases God. This is how God, this is the view, this is the perspective of God. This is what God said. That's why Paul, quoting those verses, pulled it out from Old Testament, the authority of God. God has spoken. This is what God said about us. This is our state. <clears throat> Not only, remember, this is our sinful nature here. Not no one, no, none is righteous, but the, the verse 11 says, no one understand. No one understand. So, our, our, our understanding, our mind is darkened by sin. We can hear it, we can see it, but we don't get it. <laughs> That's what Jesus over and over, when he debating with those Jews in the gospel, he referred to and said, you, you see me, but you don't understand me, you hear me, because your heart is darkened, your mind is, uh, and your eyes is deaf and blinded of, by sin. No one understanding. The Bible says, in, in, we, we saw it last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that the, 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 the natural man or the un, unsaved person or the unbelievers doesn't, doesn't have the discernment or not able to understand the thing of the spirit because it's only spiritually discerning. Only those who are alive spiritually can see and understand. So your, your mind is darkened. Your mind is, 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 doesn't see it. doesn't matter how much you hear it. If you are an unbeliever, you still don't get it. And only they say, no one seek for God. Refer to our wills. No one seek God. Present tense. It's not a, it's, it's not a, a thing that is happening. No, no, no one. 
No one sin God has to do with our will. No one is willed to come to God. Now, here is explained to us why are so many religions in the world. I can tell you why. Even in Christianity, there's another way men attempt to run away from the true God, to have another form of religion and a false God. They run away from the true God. They don't want anything to do with the true God. So even Christianity, there are people who love to be in, 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 in church and, and professing Christ. They are morally, outwardly, you know. But their heart is far away from God. We see that in the gospel, what Jesus said to the Jews, the same thing in the Old Testament. God fed up with their sacrifice and everything they came to him in the temple because God said, your heart is far away from me. All the outward sacrifice and ritual and all that God commanded them to do is the, is, the, is the expressing of their heart, the true heart of worship. But they emphasize on outwardly and thinking they are right with God, but their heart is far, far, far away from God. And this is what God through Isaiah I say, you, you approach me with your mouth, but your heart is far away from me. No one see God. I know when people hear the, uh, the Calvinists uh, believe on uh, election and all of that, they think that God push back on people who want to come to him. They think like, they see like there's a, human, a hum, uh, whole uh, bunch of people running toward God. You know, humanity is like coming to God, but God said, no, 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 you go back. You did not, I did not choose you. You go back, you come, you, you come, because I, I elected you. No, that, that's not the picture the Bible is, is painted to us. Humanity is running away from God. Election is a mercy and the grace of God who pull you back to him. Otherwise, no one will seek God. The, the phrase here, no one seek God. If God is not seeking us or drawing us to himself, no one will able to come to God. There's only one seeker. It is only God. Jesus said, I came to one. Seek and save those who are lost. Verse 12. All have turned aside. See, we run away from the path, from the way to God. We run away. We, we, we deserted. Together, they have become worthless. The way God looks at us, we are worthless. We are good for nothing. No one does good. Now, again, does good here refers to spiritual good. That is pleases and acceptable to God. Not even one. Now notice the, the, the phrase you use here. None. Not one. No one. All. And he, he emphasized the last phrase. Not even one. Just to make sure there's someone like say, Ah, he's referring to these people here. And no, he's referring to all of humanity. Now, I want you to look at Romans. Same, same book. Romans chapter 8. We were there last week, but... I want to emphasize uh, on something uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 5 and 9. You know, that's the thing I, I love the reform view. Uh, I said it last week. I believe the, the, the reform, uh, belief in the, in, the, in the reform teaching is the exposition of scripture. You know, I, I, I came to the understanding of scripture. It's like a light went off. Once you see it, it's like get brighter and brighter and brighter. And that's how I, I, I see it in scripture, that, 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 that uh, Calvinist view, to me I believe, is the exposition of scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Here, Paul here is describing 
believer and unbeliever. Those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. That's not referring to the believer. I said that last week. Before I become before, I thought it's referring to the believers. Those who are believers, but they chose to walk in the flesh, and those who are walking in the spirit. But it's clear here, if you follow the flow of his thought and follow the context, it's referred to the believers and non-believer. Those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. I'm not going to read the whole uh, from chapter verse 1, but I want to start at verse 5. You will see it. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. You got to understand here. He referred to the people natural and, and spiritual. Natural man, the one who dead spiritually. The spiritual person is the one who spiritually alive, who who who, who uh, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. This is what he's referring to here. It's clear in the text. Why why those who are in the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh? Verse, verse, verse 6, see the word for, that's the reason. The word for. For the set for to set the mind on the flesh is dead. It means, I mean it's dead. You're spiritually dead. How can you understand the thing of the spirit when you are dead toward God? Remember, I said uh, last week, when, what you do with the, what, you, what, what the dead man can do? Nothing. Nothing. So here, the reason why the natural man doesn't have any idea or understand or even set his mind on the things of God because he's spiritually dead. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. See, those who are in Christ, you are spiritually alive. You are at peace with God. You love God. You're longing to know God and desire the things of God. In verse, uh, verse 7, this is the verse I want you to look to, to pay attention to it. For the mind that is set on the flesh is what? Hostile to God. Enmity toward God. See, the one who unsaved, listen to me, you hate God. You are haters of God. I know it's, it's too strong, but this is what the Bible is, is saying, it's describing it. You see, you, you, you might say, oh, I know a lot of people, I don't see them hate God. They never talk about I hate God. But they, that they love God? If you don't hate God, it means you love God, right? If you love God, you mean you desire the things of God. You love the Word, you longing for the Word, the fellowship of the believer, coming to church. You know, you hate sin, you don't want to sin, you grieve and mourn and repent when you fall into sin. See, that's the those who are at peace with God. This is the root cause of the problem. The unbelieving person or the unbeliever, they are hater of God. They hate God. They are hostile toward God. You know, you might look at people who are outwardly immoral, right? And they outwardly disobeying God. It's come from their heart, the root cause, because they hate God. You know, the root and the fruit, the cause and the effect. Yeah, yeah. See, there'll be a people you might say, ah, I don't see an outward immoral lifestyle in them, right? I can tell you, man, religious people are full of people who hate God. But they're hiding in it. They're hiding in it. I don't know. I don't know all of us. You know, we come to church. We, we won't believe everyone is saved. Everyone love God. But you know your heart. You know the state you are. Your mind. 
You know, we come to church, we all look alike, smile to each other, talk about Jesus, act like we all love Jesus. And, you know, and you can't tell if it's a person who is indifferent to you when you come to church. But you know your heart, you know your mind. Do you love God? Do you desire His Word? That's the thing that people are at peace, are alive spiritually. They long for God. They have not enough of God. They want more of Him. Love come to church. That, that's that. You hate sin. You, you struggle with sin. You know, someone asks a question, how do I know that I'm delivered from sin? You struggle with sin. That's a good sign. <laughs> if you don't struggle with sin, something is not right with you. All believers will struggle with sin because we don't want to offend God. We love God. You want to please God. Now I say here the mind, those of you who just came in, Romans chapter 8 verse 7, for the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. You see, when, when, when the gospel is proclaimed, the Bible uses the language, it's a command. God is not making a suggestion to you. He is commanding you to believe and surrender to him. You know, turn from your sin and come to Jesus. It's a command to obey. But how can you obey that? How can you believe? He is clearly here. You hate God. Not only that, you're not able to submit to God's law. It's talking about the authorities of God. When you hostile to all God, I mean you rebellions against God. You run away from God. So how can you bring yourself to God? How can you hate your sin? It's required, repentance is requiring to hate your sin. Turn from it by forsaking it and come in faith to receive Jesus Christ. How can a dead sinner who won with his sin, who in love with his sin, his nature is covered by sin, can hate his sin and forsake it and come in his own way, I mean his own ability or his own power to God. Because the next, the last, the last part of that verse, not only he does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. I like the New American Standard Bible say, for it is not even able to do so. That's the scripture. That's clear here. And the verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now you, you see why our confessing say that the, 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 the unbelievers cannot have the cannot have the desire, even the ability to, to please God or offer to God any spiritual good. Or even prepare himself to salvation. There's another force. There's not the sin nature. There's not only the, the our nature is covered and controlled by sin. There's another force that suppresses us. It's working in us as our unbelievers. You know who, who's that, 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 that force? It's called the evil one. Or Satan. Can you go to First John chapter 5? We have a... Some scripture that, that we're going to look at. It. Don't be, uh, it's good to look at your Bible. I don't want to just quote it. I want you to look at your Bible so you can see it is in the Bible. Verse 19. We know. So that, that word there is the faith, as John, first John is his favorite phrase. They use it all by now, probably 44 something time that he used it. Because the book of John is about the assurance of salvation. He writes that so that people who believe in Jesus Christ to know that they have eternal life. The word they are known or known 
it's an experiential way of knowing someone. You know it by through relationship or, 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 or experience that person. So when, when John here, we know, so the believers knows this, and you should know that too if you are a believer, that every, uh, sorry, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. See, the unbeliever is in the grip of Satan. Death grip. It won't let you go. And the verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true and his son Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. So believer knows. Unbelievers doesn't know that. Doesn't have that. Now 2 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse uh, 24. Right? And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome or argue, like, like, you know, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent with tenderness, God may perhaps grant them repentance. Again, we will, we will get to uh, effects of all. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you see this here? The repentance is, has to be granted by God. Why? Because sinner cannot repent of himself. I said that earlier, a while ago. How can a sinner hate his sin when he's in one and in love with it? It's like asking the pig, sorry, using that, to hate the mud. Don't go there anymore. You must hate it. <laughs> How can, how can they, that animal, I grew up with the animal, right? it's disgusting, but uh, think about that. They love dirty, right? They be in the mud. It doesn't matter what you do with the pig, you try to avoid and go back to the mud. You'll always go back there. Even if you take inside the house, dress, it, dress the pig up, you know, like they say, put a lipstick or whatever, show them the clean of the house, how lovely, how beautiful it is. The pig might stay there because you lock the pig inside, right? If you open the door, what happens to the pig? You love that place? Now he will run right back to the mud. But, but in order for the pig to stay in, the, in, in that place, what does the pig need to do? He need to convert the pig to something else. His nature has to change. So I'll just give you an example here. I don't know why I went there. It wasn't in my note. So, Say he had granted them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their sins and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his what? His will. You see that? Satan is controlling or capture the unbeliever to do his will. So, if you don't, uh, don't get it or see it, let's go to Jesus, what Jesus said about that. John chapter 8. Just media scripture. John chapter 8 verse 40, uh, 43. I'm going to read it. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Here again, that's the sign of those unbelievers. They still don't get it. And Jesus made that bold statement. You are of your, of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth 
Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe. So Jesus made this, that the reason why you don't get it, you don't hear it, you don't want to come, you don't want to see it, the way you, why you hate me, is because you are of your father, the devil. His desire is your desire. Now go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. So here, same thing. Paul here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead. You were what? Dead. All unbelievers, even you and I, before we become a believers, we were in that state. We were dead. Why we were dead? In the trespasses and sin. So, it's not we're dead to sin. We were dead to God, spiritually. Why? Because we live in sin. You can't live and alive in sin at the same time live for God. The reason why we were dead is not referring to spiritual death. We were separated from God because of sin. We live in sin. And then he go on to say, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following. You know this the language, walk, following, following. You know, it's not that the unbeliever is controlled by something against his will or his desire. No. The unbeliever is responsible. He is willing to do it. He lives in it. He, he walks in it. Lifestyle. He practices it willingly. And he said, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the son of disobedience. You see that? It's, it's working within the unbelievers to disobey God, to rebellion against God. You know, never to submit to the authorities of God. That's what is happening here. The evil one, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the children of disobedience, refer to the unbeliever. Among whom we all once live, the passion, now here, the, 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 the in nature here, the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind. You see, because of our sin nature, everything else followed under its control, even the mind. And where by nature children of rest, like the rest of mankind. All of us, all mankind, is in that state. We are children of wrath. Our nature, sorry, by nature, alone is provoking God. Why? Because it's all sin. It's living sin. All we have in our nature is sin. It's already provoked by itself. That alone, our action and our word and all of that. Now, at this point, I don't know if some of you should have that question in your mind now. I should stare that question in your mind. But I thought the Bible tells us, you must believe. Whoever believes, Jesus said, whoever believes will be saved. You know, the Bible make it clear. You call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. You come to Jesus, he'll receive you. He, he said, Jesus said himself, whoever come to me, I will no way cast him out. The Bible says, seek the Lord. If seek him because he's still near. If you seek him with all your heart, you'll find him. What about those? What about those uh, verses? What about those? Yeah, what about them? It's <laughs> a good question. It seems like I share with my wife. My wife said, "This um, looks like contradict, right? It's contradicting the." Uh, the say yes, it appears contradict, but in reality, it's not. God is doing His thing, and man doing His thing. 
<laughs> they never interfere with each other. Those who reject the gospel, doing willingly. See, what the scriptures say is true. No one will be saved without coming. No one will be saved without believing. No one without, will be saved without repenting, without seeking the Lord, without submitting, without turning to Jesus. No one will be saved without it. That's the condition. And it's a fact. It's true. It's in the Bible. Other words, it's true. Both true what we're just seeing it. It's both true. The question is, how, how, how can, can it happen? How can it happen to the unbeliever if the Bible says they won't? They don't have the ability to come, even desire to come to salvation. If you're familiar with John chapter 6, Jesus is offering the Jews like, what, what, what I just shared with you. What I just say? Believe in me, you'll be saved. Come to me, receive me, you have eternal life. If you come to me, I will, I will no way cast you out. You know, I'm the true bread. See, he explained it. He, 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 he put the, the responsibility on them because we all are responsible. But, but that's when Jesus made the statement. Why they see in it, but they don't believe it. Why they hear, but they don't, they don't get it. Why they reject it, keep rejecting him. And he made that statement in, in verse 44. No one will come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's the exact effectual goal we will talk about in the next chapter. That's how an unbeliever come to Jesus. Do you see how it works? It's amazing. That's why Calvinist view of salvation, we believe wholeheartedly the sovereignty of God in salvation. The entirety, the whole of salvation is depending on God from the beginning to the end. It starts from eternity past all the way to eternity future. It's all the works of God. He always, that's how God, you know, He always commands or demands something that we are not able to do. I know that. Because there's some, some argument from some non-Calvinists who say, if we are not able to do that, but what's the point of commanding us to do it? Well, it's always like that. Because whatever God requires, He always provides. Isn't that He demands us to have a perfect righteousness? We don't have that. But why He demands it from us? Other words, he, he demands or requires from us a righteousness that we don't have, but it's a righteousness we must have. You see, you must have that, that, that righteousness in order for you to be right with God. But how, how are we going to get that? Well, He provided. You see, always He demands and requires, and He always provided. That's the beauty, that's the glory of the gospel. As opposed to make you humble and amazed at the sovereignty and the glory of God. Remember, it's all about Him. The glory will go back to Him. I want to finish our Sunday school with uh, Romans chapter 11. A few verses, I'll just read it, and then we are closing. This is after Paul explaining salvation, the Jews and the Gentiles, how God planned salvation to rescue sinners from their sin. And if he finished with the Israelite, God's plan for the, for the, for the Jews. Uh, if you quickly on verse 30, I want to read it from there to the end. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, by now, but now, have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that they find the mercy showing to you, they also may, be, may, may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all the disobedient 
that he may have mercy to all. You see, by his servant, he allows men to pursue their sin and live in their sin. But he says he do that, but at the same time, he demonstrates through that his mercy to save some. See that? The mercy of God is, is highlighted. Remember, the mercy is something you don't deserve. It's not a must to, for everyone to have. Because some people object to this idea that God only shows mercy to some and not. They say, it's unfair. That's the question that Paul raised in, in chapter 9. If we have the other view, no one will object to that, right? Why Paul anticipate himself in the, in, in, in the statement that he made? Like he, he knew that his listener will object to that. And after he made the statement in chapter 9, he, he, he said, So what are we going to say then? Is there any injustice in God? If, God, if Paul said in, 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 in chapter 9, if you're familiar with chapter 9, he said, Well, God is basing his, uh, in, in his saving on, 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 the, on the choice of, of that person. It's according to your choice. He's foreseeing it. What are you going to do? And he, he, he chose you to salvation. If, if it is what Paul was, if that is the teaching of Scripture, and Paul will say that, he will not going to say, he will not say, what then? Uh, uh, there's any injustice in God? Why he raised that rhetorical question? Because Paul knew there are a lot of people who will object to that idea. It's injustice. It's, it's unfair for God to do that. But here, the mercy is something only God can show. And it's not deserved by everyone. It has to be according to his choice. God has to show in order for the mercy to be mercy. In the verse 33, all the tap of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and how unscrutable his way. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's doxology. That's what Paul said. It's amazing. He was moved. He was thrilled by the, all that the revelation of the salvation and the work of God and the sovereignty of God. That's his response. He's passed out in, in doxology, offering praise. That's, that's, that's you and me. If you hear you receive salvation, you know how you come to, to that uh, experience, receive salvation. But if you insist, no, no, it was my own choice. It's my, well, fine, you're saved. Good, bless, bless you, you're, you're, you're saved. But you have to ask the question, why you come? Why you came? And your friend and others heard the same gospel, but they're still resisting it. So, we are to praise God for His mercy and His grace. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are marvel at Your grace and Your mercy. We realize where we were. We were dead in our sin. We were lost. We ran away from You. We were haters of God. We were enemies of God. Oh, but Your mercy was so great that You saved us, that You made us alive, that You brought us. We're willing to come. We're willing to believe and repent and turn to you because you enable us. You quicken us. You drawing us. It was the grace was so powerful that overwhelmed us. That make us willing to come to Christ. Oh Lord, may you be glorifying us. May you take the credit. May we be humble. May we be overwhelmed with joy and gratitude. Always. The more we hear, the more we see it in scripture, the more rejoiced we are to be, Lord. We thank you for the mercy and the grace you have sown to us in Christ Jesus. Lord, as we come together to worship you, help us 
Extend your hand to us in your grace. Aid us in our worship. That we offer to you what you demand from us that is pleased and acceptable on your side. Bless your word. Empower your word we are about to hear. And prepare our heart to receive it, Lord. Bless the rest of our service and our fellowship. That you will be glorified among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.